Hi, welcome to Affable Chat. I'm Benjamin, and I'm here with Joey. Hi. And we're going to be talking about the movie Donnie Darko. Uh, obviously, spoilers ahead. You have been warned. And this is the director's cut um, version of the movie, not the theatrical cut. Yes, director's cut. We made, spent, went through extra steps to make sure we got the director's cut. <laughs> Which included ordering a physical version of the the movie, yes. which I haven't done for a movie in a long, long time. No, I haven't either. So, but I feel good about owning this movie. So, it's one of my favorites. I'm interested to explplore, uh, yeah, some of the other things that are on here because there's a lot of extra content. Yeah, there is. That comes there's with like, the there's two disc, about, like the fan club or something. Yeah, it made me do it too. The cult of Donnie Darko. The uh, yeah, no, it, two dick, two disc directors uh, cut edition, dude. Very, very exclusive content here. Okay, so I this is the first time you've seen this movie, right? It is. So, what did you think of it? Uh, well, it was kind of, I don't know, it's kind of mind blowing. Uh, first off, the first thing that really hits me, I guess, okay, it should, okay, it's not the first thing that really hits me, but first thing I want to comment on, okay, is the uh, actors in this movie that i've seen in their subsequent works yeah. all over the place uh i mean we got seth rogan in here that's we've right we've got uh, ashley first... tisdale ashley tisdale's in this movie yes young who ashley is she? tisdale who is she she's, she's one of the children who asks patrick swayze a question and oh. she goes first and then right after that she's followed up by spencer from iCarly, aka yep. crazy steve <laughs> from drake and josh Great so cameo. It's, yeah, it's great. Uh, I mean, was that even a cameo or is that a, a kickstart to their career? Yeah, so wait, did, is, did you did you just say that this is Seth Rogen's first? This is Seth Rogen's first movie. He was previously in Freaks and Geeks, which also means that the first line he ever says in a movie is, um, I like your boobs. Oh my gosh, amazing. I wrote that down. I wrote that down because that, that not, I did not know that was the first line of his career though. <laughs> yep. Oh my gosh. How fitting. Right? I guess. Uh, that sets you on a path, right? The rest, of your, rest of your life. <laughs> well, I mean, what a path to be on for Seth Rogen. I uh, I wouldn't expect <laughs> him. I guess you get your start anywhere, kind of. But uh, right. he's gone to a, a multitude of genres from here. But yeah, no. That's as far true. as the movie itself goes, uh, really cool. I, I like I like movies that are. I, I'm not a big fan of horror movies, or at least I don't have a lot of horror movies that I like. I, I actually kind of avoid them. But with this movie, it was more of thrilling, I guess, is the way yeah. I would put it, and mysterious. And I think that it kept both of those feelings alive throughout, which oh, yeah. was super entertaining. I kept trying to watch – well, I, I, it kept me engaged throughout the whole movie because I was trying to figure out why. I had so many questions, and I'll be honest, the ending did not answer them. So <laughs> <No>. I, <laughs> I'm still a little bit – I'm still very engaged, but I'm not – I, I'm not satisfied yet with what this movie has given me. I know the answers are there, but I well, some don't have there. them. I don't know if it'll be satisfying for you. See, this movie is really weird because it's it's really vague, right? There's all this vagary behind it. And I feel like the director's cut kind of uh, sifts through that a little bit. It makes it a little more clear. But there's so much like backstory and all this stuff that's like required reading, I guess you could say, for like understanding this movie, that it takes away a lot of the mystery, which I feel like... That's probably my biggest complaint is that the movie itself isn't self-contained. Is that there's there's other stuff that explains, like officially explains what's going on. It's not just like some random guys 
like thoughts. It's like the actual explanation of the movie. Really? Yeah. Um, because the philosophy of time travel, which is a big part of this of this book, I mean this yeah. movie, isn't a real book, but there are pages of it that exist online that you can read. And there are pages you see in the in the in the movie as well. Yes, reading in the movie, which is never <laughs> something that I like. And I know that yes. they're short, but I had the luxury of watching this by myself, so I was able to pause it and make sure that I read them in their entirety because yeah. I, I'm, I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'm the slowest reader, but I, I guess that when you put words on the screen, I always feel like that's tough sometimes to get oh, the yeah, audience definitely. to fully it's like, you definitely take have to it shift in. your like the way you're doing things, right? It's like, oh, now I'm reading now. And it's like, it's literally showing, it's literally telling, not showing, right? Yeah. It's like the opposite of what you should be doing. It's a like bad filmmaking, in my opinion. But I don't know. It's also sort of necessary, I guess you could say. Well, I guess I it, it okay, does so, have its own air of, it, it's, it's like a different feeling when you have to read something as opposed to having maybe a voice tell it to you because then you have to think, right. who is the voice? And this movie does mm-hmm. have a ominous... Uh, otherworldly voice that is saying things so it might have gotten confusing to have it be read maybe it would be donnie reading it but at the same time uh you might i don't know i guess you can assume donnie is reading those books the the pages that you're reading as well but it it just keeps maybe having a voice on top of it is uh, it lessens the mystery because you you know who's reading it because a lot of the times these words pop up in the middle of these strange transitions and you're not really sure what's going on yeah, definitely. And I, I don't know, I feel like it could have been better if there was like a lecture or something. Like one of the teachers is teaching about um, the philosophy of time travel and they kind of hit all the high notes or whatever. And you keep returning to that. Maybe that would have worked. I don't know. Like The teachers of this school, well, that, that one guy actually could have maybe. But uh, yeah. the only lecture we saw, or well, there's a couple lectures, but I'm mostly yeah. focusing on the fear to love lecture. Uh, they're pretty <laughs> behind on yes. what their, their I curriculum. I love that so much. Um. Yeah, uh, this movie is really amazing. It's it's so like visceral and just like it's not unlike anything else. I, I feel like it's so um, it's like a, it's like a total trip, and uh, it's, it's fun to discuss, which is why I wanted to talk about it. So, well, anyway. and I well, are, are we gonna? Do you want to go ahead and get into a synopsis? Kind of. Yeah, let's do the synopsis and then let's start. Unless there's something else you want to say. No, I I want to get into breaking it down, but I I'll, I'll wait till after the synopsis. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's let's do that. All right, so, again, spoilers ahead. Paranoid, schizophrenic teen Donnie Darko lives a normal life with his mom, dad, and two sisters. That is, until Frank, a six-foot-tall bunny rabbit from hell, visits Donnie and tells him the world will end. After waking up on a golf green blocks from his house, Donnie discovers that his house, specifically his room, was crushed by a jet engine. Luckily, because of Frank, neither Donnie nor his family is hurt. Donnie continues to live his life, going to school, doing homework, but is continuously haunted by Frank, who leads Donnie to commit acts of vandalism and arson. Donnie also discovers a book called The Philosophy of Time Travel. The book outlines how a rift in the fourth dimension can create a black hole that erases all existence. The book also tells Donnie how to stop this from occurring. Donnie falls in love with a girl named Gretchen, but after looking into her future, he puts into motion events that lead to her death and the death of Frank as well. Uh, This is when it's revealed that Frank is a normal teenager in a bunny suit. 
Donnie is struck with grief, but knowing what he must do, he opens the portal back in time and moves the jet engine back to the night it was destroyed his house. This time, Donnie stays in bed, laughing until the engine crushes him, killing him. So yeah, as wow, usual, okay. my synopsis are not complete, but no, but that, um, that at least added some insight for me because I. I I wasn't sh- totally sure that his death was intentional when he went back in um, time. Yeah, that's like a that's like a big part, uh, like it's a big point of contention with this movie is like why does Donnie die at the end? Mm-hmm. Um, and my, like my best answer is that he chooses to die. Like he he fulfills this purpose that was bestowed upon him by God, and then he decides that he doesn't want to live anymore. And so he he decides to stay in bed and die, um, but it's also possible that it was kind of like an act of mercy in a way, like that Donnie didn't remember anything that happened, just like nobody else remembers anything that happened. Um, but I always felt like the living receiver, which is what Donnie is, um, that he like maintained the memories he had from the previous life, because they do say something about the manipulated only having dreams and nothing about the living receiver so yeah so now, let's get into like how, how what's going what's going on in this movie like this is the way i understand it the best mm-hmm. ability and there is a there's a big piece of this that like doesn't make any sense to me still okay so the um the artifact which is the jet engine appears basically out of nowhere and crushes donnie's house and of course frank saves him by bringing him out of the house yeah um that's that's pretty clear the now the act of Frank saving Donnie and the act of the uh, jet engine appearing, neither of those things are what created this parallel universe. That those things are just symptoms of the problem. The the, the parallel the way it happened is not explained in the movie. It's not shown at all. So basically, there was a rift in time, and the the universe split into two. There is the primary universe, which is like timeline as we understand it, and then there's the tangent universe, which is like an extra sections like a parallel universe that's like a, a tumor almost that's growing off of the primary universe and it it will collapse upon itself and create a black hole which will also consume the primary universe in 28 days making sense so far yes no and i remember them uh like prophesizing that the world was going to end right uh, and, and i guess i'm trying to think of a movie that follows a similar format for time travel because um they reference Back to the Future in this movie. They do but, reference Back to the Future. And Back to the Future does have, like, the parallel, uh, like, you, where you can spawn a new timeline and potentially return to an old one based on, like, yeah. actions that you take. So, uh, But I don't think that this fall, fall, falls under that exact No, I don't think it does either. There, I do actually, I mean, I think about time travel a lot, actually. So I have, a, there's, there's three types of time travel, but we can talk about that later. Um, and I don't know what the, what this movie is. I if I had to guess, I would say it's a static timeline. So anyway, there's a there's a ta- tangent universe, which is where the majority of the movie happens. This is everything up until the very last scene when John, Donnie is crushed by the jet engine at the end. So everything else happens in this tangent universe. Now the tangent universe doesn't follow the same rules as the primary universe because it's it's not the same thing and it needs to it needs to die basically. So the universe puts into motion um, a series of events to make sure one person sends the artifact back to the primary universe. Now, the way they do this is really vague, but 
it's really interesting watching the movie a, a couple times and you like really seeing how this, this comes about. There's a bunch of people in the movie that enact circumstances to push Donnie into first killing Frank and having Gretchen die and then um, forcing him to have no choice but to go back in time, basically, and re undo all of the mistakes he made in the last 28 days. And so there's the manipulated living and the manipulated dead. Manipulated living people in this movie, the, the biggest one is definitely Drew Barrymore, his, his teacher. Um, mm -hmm. Also, his, his therapist is also manipulated. Um, I think Roberta Sparrow also plays a part in that, but I don't know if you could even say she's manipulated or if she's just like in cahoots with the universe, you could say. And then there's the manipulated living, or excuse me, the manipulated dead. I'm going to say manipulated so many times it's going to not even become a word anymore. <laughs> manipulated dead uh, are Frank, obviously, because he has all these supernatural powers, but also Gretchen, who dies, and I would even say his mom and sister, uh, although his sister doesn't play a huge part, his mom definitely plays a part in um, making sure Donnie is where he needs to be. So all of these people are... Um, kind of are in a conspiracy together without their knowledge uh, to force Donnie into a circumstance where he first brings Gretchen to be killed and then kills Frank. And he has to, those people have to die in order to save him from the past, in the past. Does that make sense? So Frank has to die at some point in the Tangent Universe so that he can become manipulated dead so that he can appear in visions to Donnie. Ah... So they have. So that's what the insurance trap is that, that they mentioned. The insurance trap is Gretchen's death, um, and Donnie's infatuation with her has to come about in those twenty-eight days. And so there, there are events that go into making sure that that happens, like Frank making Donnie flood the school, um, Drew Barrymore making sure Gretchen sits next to Donnie in class, stuff like that. All of that wow. lends together to make sure that Donnie falls in love with Gretchen, so that when she dies, um, he is sure to kill Frank. And there, and then become so full of regret. The only thing he can do is go back in time. The uh, well, because yeah, when he appears to Donnie in the movie theater and he takes off his mask, he's already got a uh, his eye is already gone, and he doesn't right. answer Donnie when Donnie asks him how he lost. Right, his which eye. kind of makes sense to me because it's it's kind of like like you did this to me, like you're the you know like how could you even ask that? But of course, you know, it's his role right now. He's you could even say that Frank is kind of a puppet at this point. Yeah, wow. I didn't even think about it like that because uh, I – okay. So that, that also explains why uh, – what is – what's her name? The um, teacher? Um, Drew Barrymore. Um, Drew Barrymore, yeah. I don't know her name. Dang it. Right, Drew um, Barrymore is fine. Drew, Drew Barrymore says pick the I, – I wrote it down. It's uh, uh, sit next to the boy you think is the cutest. Yes. <laughs> And I didn't think that that was supposed to be, like, a quirky, like, oh, like, she's, like, that's who she really is. I felt like that was out of character. I felt like that was almost forced, but I didn't know why at the time. It just right, seemed it, out it of... Right, it definitely is forced. Um, yeah, totally assuming her sexual orientation, am I right? Yeah, right? <laughs> well, this movie was in 1988, I think, so... It was, it was actually made in 2001. Right, right, but the, set the, in it sets yeah, because yeah, it was Dukakis versus Bush, yeah, and uh, which was uh, I thought was an interesting uh, yes. inclusion. Very definitely <laughs> Very sets so. it sets the time in place. But they okay, weren't so worried I, about gender. I feel like I've I've covered stuff. the like the majority of Alice works. the The biggest thing that I I don't understand, and I've been 
I was thinking about this before I watched the movie. I was thinking about this after I watched the movie. And I looked up all the explanations I could, I could find, and I'm still not satisfied. Um, and that's where does the where does the engine come from in the first place, right? It just kind of appears in the first, like, from there. It appears in the Tangent Universe, crushes Donnie's house. Then you see Donnie rip a engine off of an airplane and send it through a wormhole back to the primary universe to crush him 28 days before in the in the primary universe. Yeah. Right? But where, So where does the first one come from? Because the second one is from the Tangent Universe and that plane that's in the Tangent Universe. The first one just shows up all of a sudden. But maybe that's... Okay, now that I say that out loud, maybe that's exactly it. Maybe that... That is the rift in space-time showing it. There's like an overlapsion. There's some sort of overlap there. And it's there's some continuity error in the universe, which is, causes this, the tangent universe to appear. And that has to be resolved through him sending it back. Another way I saw this explained was that you have the primary universe. Imagine the primary universe is a line. And you have the tangent universe is like a horseshoe that comes out of the line and then back. So that everything that happens in that event must like send it it has to send that he has to send that uh engine on a long journey 28 day journey back in time um to you know complete the cycle it has to complete the loop you could say or else it would destroy the primary timeline and then nothing exists right something like that that's that's the theory anyway well i i my theories on this movie <laughs> are still in their infancy but i i sure. would be i i think i would agree with you i think it's part of like the unexplainable nature of the anomalous event that caused time to break down. Uh, if if yeah. time if that can happen, I believe that it could rip a airplane engine from out of nowhere and send it flying through his sure. through his roof. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I mean, this movie asks you to suspend your disbelief a lot, but it's um, definitely a memorable experience for sure well, it's, it's always interesting when like when they ask you to suspend your disbelief though because that mm. like because i felt like this is a pretty i don't know grounded movie with just like interactions between people and like the characters acting like normal people from the 80s but then yeah. like i like looking back at that that sentence like the sit next to the boy you think is the cutest like is this setting up a like a like now you're forcing a relationship, which is something that straight out of a movie, uh, take that's mm. like lessens the realness of it. But I, I, I would be interested to review the rest of it and find those other instances where they kind of break reality for the sake of pushing the narrative, which builds on this whole yeah. for like forces in action, this conspiracy that's supposed to be closing this loop, I guess. Uh, I really like that. I didn't, I didn't think about that at all, but you're totally right. It's kind of like, it's almost like a, how movies in real life interact right or you got like you got this like these events in motion and then you have all these movie events all these things that you know make the plot happen that are part of it but in in this story it's um it's explained as like a supernatural force whereas other movies it's just plots you know (laughs) yes well okay and yeah to continue with that because one of the things after I guess it's 2018. So the character of Gretchen, I kept on looking to see if there was more to her character than just being Jake Gyllenhaal's girlfriend. Yeah. And I know she had a troubled past, which I think was just more of a 
opportunity to make her vulnerable and be looking for somebody to, uh, mm. you know, be in a relationship with. But so I kept looking for her to be more than just a character. But no, she was pretty much throughout the whole movie, most of the movie, she was just there to be Jake Gyllenhaal's love interest. But yeah. that was actually her whole purpose in this movie. Like, not in right. the movie, but in the uh, the this uh, secondary timeline. Uh, the yeah. um, un- What did you call it? Not the tangent uh, universe. The tangent universe. Yeah, her whole purpose in the tangent universe is to be his girlfriend. Right. So I, I don't know. I think that's cool that there's kind of like the multiple layers to it. Uh, it's yeah. like you could call it out as being like bad filmmaking because you have a uh, character who has like one motivation. But then you could say that they're aware of that and maybe even using it to its fullest extent. Right. And I mean, that's it's interesting because like you can say that, you know, how does Donnie do all this stuff? How does he learn to like control his powers and everything? But like he has to and like he has all these powers. He has telekinesis and mind control and power over fire and water and stuff. So like, you know, like basically anything's possible, but it's a little bit more satisfying than just saying like, oh, you have to believe it because it's in the movie. Right. Pretty good. That was a good take, Ben. Thanks. I uh, the the other thing that I really enjoyed something I guess I other I drew from this was sure. Jake Gyllenhaal's obvious casting in Nightcrawler after this. Mm. Like I know it wasn't immediately after this, but the, my, his performance in Nightcrawler was uh, really stuck with me because yeah. I think Jake Gyllenhaal does a good job of playing somebody who's crazy who doesn't you know just go like ah I'm crazy right you know? it's like, like a, it's like a subtle crazy. Yes, which is, in my opinion, much more terrifying. Yes. So, and he's perfect for that. And it's it's cool to know that he did that previous to yeah, I mean, this Yeah, this is not his first movie, but it is one of his first movies. And, yeah, there's some, something in the trivia about him, like, not blinking as much to make him seem crazier, um, which which is crazy, too. I, I mean, I, that's not the right word, but it was it's really good <laughs> acting. Um, and he's great in this movie. He's so he's so like real, and the lines he has is, is are really great. I feel like the writing in this movie is top notch. I agree. I, I liked the beginning where Jake Gyllenhaal is arguing with his actual sister. <laughs> yes, and they're cussing at each other. <laughs> oh my god, I love that scene so much. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a fuck ass. Oh, another thing I noticed <laughs> was in the beginning. First off, the movie has a uh, I would say memorable, pretty memorable introduction uh, with like with music yes. and well, well uh, after the in in excess is that what it's called? I think that's the name of the band in excess. I N X S. Oh really? The name of the movie. Name of the song is Never Tear Us Apart. I actually heard it, it on the radio before I watched the movie, and I was like, oh wow, because I did I forgot it was in the movie. So nice. I was like oh man, deja vu. They had uh, well because uh, for the initial shot, which is just that long, the, like the camera just uh, like is approaching Donnie yeah. on the on, and they yeah, it pans around and he sits up. Which while I was watching, I was like, "How did he time that so well?" Like he because it is one shot and he just like sits up at the perfect time. But that's you know that's actors they're good at that stuff. Uh, but anyways, beyond that, him riding his bike in and you kind of get a feel for like the for middle sex. where you are yeah for Middlesex, which is an interesting name of a town yes is that i've never heard of that name before i watched this movie and now i see it everywhere it's like a very yeah. common town name I, okay uh but yeah Middlesex, and uh yeah that the musical intro basically but one of the things i noticed was the mom is reading stephen king as yeah, he as the, yes and oh i actually didn't notice it was it i just saw stephen king but okay so it was she was reading it which 
Uh, I also didn't know if this, what kind of movie this was at all. Right. I mean, it looked kind of, uh, you know, from the front of it, it has Jake Gyllenhaal holding an axe. So I thought maybe it could be a horror movie, but also it could be like a fireman movie or maybe. <laughs> <laughs> there are more than one of those. <laughs> Or, yeah, or he's like a superhero, like maybe one of these kind of undertakers <laughs> who he doesn't look like a superhero, but he is a superhero. So uh, especially because on the on the disc, it has like the drawings from the inside of the philosophy of time travel. And it yeah. has like labels on his bo- like on his body. And it said I, I think one of the words said something with like vision or something like that. And I was like, he yeah, he's clearly going to be a superhero in this movie. But when I saw the Stephen King book being read, I was like, ooh, could potentially be a like a straight up horror movie mm. and uh I, I was happy with what it ended up being but well, yeah. i thought it was i i'm i'm i assume that that inclusion was pretty uh intentional yeah i think so i think um it's supposed to um i think there's a couple different like lines in here that um reference donnie being something other than human yeah um and which is exactly what he is in the in terms of you know the movie um because he is the living receiver he is the guy I'm trying to remember. I, at some point, they talk about how I think it's when he's sitting on the the car, kind of with the portal happening in the uh, like towards the end of the uh, one more time. What what do we call the non primary timeline? The tangent uh, universe. Tangent universe. Tangent universe. Uh, towards to the to t- yeah, <laughs> that would be easier. Yeah, uh, towards the end of the tu when he's being uh, like. Uh, doesn't he say something about the future being like, g- like in some way positive? Like he was looking forward to being dead or be, like ending this. Uh, I'm, oh, it's man. escaping me right he now. Does does he say something at that moment? It's really hard for me to remember. I'm just. Um, I'm yeah, curious about what Donnie thinks his future is, knowing right. that he's going to be dead. Right. I don't know. It, it's it's kind. Of, it is interesting to think about like what that what that means. It it seems like this is in contradiction to something. Or yeah, this is in contradiction to something they talked about earlier. How Roberta Sparrow says um, every living creature on Earth dies alone. Yeah. Um, and uh, his parents actually say when they visit his therapist, they say that they they wish that he would experience some relief, um, which yes. I feel like foreshadows his death. Um, in that he he's finally like free of his problems, right? He's he's finally moved on, I guess you could say. And it's interesting because he at that moment when he's um, you know ripping the the portal open or whatever, he is really alone. I mean, Gretchen's in the car, but she's dead, so mm-hmm. he really is truly alone. And then when he's in the bed, he's alone too. But his family is with him in the house. So like, it's interesting that. Um, I don't think he necessarily dies alone or that or that he experiences some relief from death even though he's afraid he will die alone. And you kind of see him do die alone. He seemed pretty happy about it at the time or yeah, at least he thought it was know. funny. It's it's something to think about. I don't I'm not really sure what it means, but it definitely seems like Donnie goes through an arc where he decides that death is his only option or the best option. Okay. So right before that, we we have the Mad World sequence yes where... which is amazing so well I, yeah well i guess tell me what tell me more why it's amazing because i for me i guess i just reflected on how many characters made an impact on me that in this movie because they 
you're like, oh, like you recognize them all in that sequence. But yeah. I guess what is the message there? What, what are we being told by well, seeing this all is, these people? This is like um, showing the dreams thing. They, they mentioned this right before the Mad World starts to talk about. They have a chapter in the philosophy of time travel called Dreams that they show on screen. Right. It says, um, when the manipulated awaken from the journey inside the tangent universe, they are haunted by dreams of the experience. Many will not remember anything. And they also experience pro- profound remorse for their actions. So it's like this really crazy feeling of deja vu, right? All of them wake up and they're like, oh, wow, I just had this crazy dream. Um, and, you, I mean, you definitely see, like, the echoes of it in their actions. Like, Patrick Swayze is crying because maybe because he, he actually is a child molester or maybe because he got caught. Um, you got Frank touching his eye for where he, where he gets shot. Right, um, and he also drew those drawings right of the right body? well he's been planning making that planning making that um that costume for a while i guess and then you got um sharita who seems to be almost content she seems to come out on top in this movie yeah okay and <laughs> what else Shut uh up. <laughs> yeah well okay so t- yeah tell me more about why she was included in this movie exactly because she kind of seemed just like it seemed like they're trying to point out that bad people are racist by making mm. fun of her and like hating on her for being different but i never really mm. felt like that came to a point where it was resolved yeah i'm not really sure she was she was really interesting and i'm still not sure what she means exactly but she's always there like absorb absorbing absorbing no observing important yeah. actions right and like important points she's like she's just kind of there and um i don't know it's it's just this the i mean that one scene where where donnie talks to her and um, you know, grabs her earmuffs. Uh, what does he say? He says, "I promise that you that I promise that one day everything is going to be better for you." And and then she says, "Shut up!" As she does. Um, I always thought she said "shut up," but she has like some sort of thick accent, I guess, because it's literally written in the <laughs> in the um, what's it subtitles subtitles yeah as yeah. shut up so um, yeah. I'm not really sure what she, what she represents, but it seems like she kind of goes through her own kind of arc of self-discovery, right? She, like, does the swan, the autumn angel dance on the talent show. And yeah. Then, um, and then it seemed well-received. Yeah. And then um, at the end, again, she's smiling during after everything that occurred. Maybe because, I don't know, she had a positive influence on Donnie. You know, he never saw her as, like, a threat or anything like that. He, he always kind of went out of his way to stand up for her. Mm-hmm. She even had that notebook that looked like it was yeah, all... where she was she was actually in love with him or whatever, or she had a crush on him or something. Sure, but I guess I, I don't know. I for me, I don't know how to explain I'm that so, left... that, Like right now, I, I, I so guess much, if... so many other things to focus on. I did not look up the intricacies of Sharita. I'm sorry. No, no, and I, uh, I, I'm. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that I, I think that that m- sequence of showing all these characters. Uh, I don't know. It's it's important to appreciate when a movie can get you to care about a whole slew of different characters and all make them uh, yeah. so, have some form of depth, even if it's not immediately apparent with uh, Charita. Uh, but it was uh, so okay. That was them showing because I do remember reading that from the book that they don't that it just it's a dream to them that they might even right. might not even remember what happened. Right, and I mean you can. You ever had a dream and then you like try to remember what it is and then it, like it slips from your mind? That like, literally happened this morning. Yeah, we're, so. <laughs> like, that's how I feel. I think about that every time I watch this movie. I feel like that's what happened. Like, 
they wake up and they're like, wow, that was really crazy. And they remember it in great detail. And then as they start to like move around and everything, just everything becomes fuzzy until they just forget it altogether. Yep. Um, which is, which is nuts because of how close they came to death. And we don't even remember. So, okay. There's, there's another thing that, um, I found kind of interesting that I looked up, which was the American imagery in this movie. So, um, American flags show up several times throughout this, throughout the movie. Uh-huh. Um, and I was trying to figure out why, and my, the best, the best explanation I could find, um, talked about, uh, patriotism. So I think the, this movie is, um, is, is placed right before the election between Bush and Dukakis, um, in 1988. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is supposed to symbolize crisis. So the, the movie um, is taking place at a time of crisis for the universe, but there's also a crisis happening um, outside of that too, right? Or not outside of the universe, but outside of the story, which is this, this election. You know, the, the country is divided. There's an election happening. It's a moment of crisis. And one of the things that was on, like, that was being discussed at this point um, was patriotism, because Dukakis actually vetoed a law that required students to pledge allegiance to the flag. And so, really? yeah, because I, I guess you could say it was for the reasons of compelled speech. But um, as the more liberal candidate, that seemed like, I guess, the best thing to do uh-huh. um, for him. But because um, it was kind of a political move, but they were tearing him apart. You know, the Bush's side was saying, like, he's not a patriot. You know, he doesn't care about America because he's he, he voted, vetoed this law. So everyone who has an American flag is kind of shown as being more patriotic or like siding with Bush, you could say. Yeah. Um, so there, like that theme of patriotism is alive and well at that in that era, and um, it shows up in the world. So is are you saying that it's like good, uh, you know, making a realistic setting because that's the that was the political climate at the time. I think so, and also to keep reminding us of this crisis that's happening in the background. Um, you know, just kind of reinforce that because this movie does a really good job of building up the tension. You said that like that kind of. The tone. I feel like this movie's tone is incredibly consistent, even though there are jokes. It's it's so funny. Like there's laugh out loud moments, but it never like ve- like veers from that ominous like building of tension uh, that just culminates in like one of the most confusing endings of any movie ever. <laughs> yes, yes, no, definitely. And there are laugh out loud moments. I I liked the discussion about Smurfette. Oh my the... god, the Smurf <laughs> thing is so good. And like I love Donnie. Um, Donnie's lines in this movie. They're so. There's, I mean, they definitely feel like real thi- like real things people say, but he's always so well thought out and articulate with everything he does. Um, and the Smurf thing is just a perfect example of that. Because, um, yeah, he talks about how the Smurfs are asexual, and then he has one of the best lines in any movie ever, which is, uh, what's the point of living if you don't have a dick? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that one down as well. Uh, which... it's uh, good. I guess, yeah, I mean, if you're... If uh, I guess you, you can't simplify it like that these days, uh, because... well, I, I feel like I feel like he was playing to his audience. So I feel right. like um, the line could be amended to "What's the point of living if you don't have genitals?" But um, he does make I, a good point too because they thought though. Papa Smurf made. Uh, yeah, but he knew everything about the Smurfs. And they actually there is some trivia about that too about how they they asked for permission from the Smurfs guy, the guy who made the Smurfs. I don't know what the guy's name, is. the Smurf Smurf man. Smurfman? Yeah, I think that is it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Smurfman. George Smurfman. <laughs> anyway, they asked permission to use like the Smurfs in the movie. Um, and he said, yeah, especially since you're, ta- you're saying it exactly right. <laughs> like, you've got everything <laughs> perfect. 
<laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Um, another part that made me, uh, yeah, uh, another part that made me laugh out loud was the dinner scene when they talk about um, the fuck ass and suck a fuck. He's like, how do you suck a fuck? How, tell you me, want- Elizabeth, how exactly does one suck a fuck? <laughs> and she's like, you want me to explain it to you? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's an interesting uh, start to the movie. Yeah, I always feel it, like it's interesting how well, they establish characters. Their they're, um, sister, sister and brother in real life. Yeah, and I feel like that, that chemistry comes across really well. And I think it, uh, the whole family dynamic is really nice, I think. Uh, everybody who's acting in this movie is almost perfect. Yes. Uh, I... I well, I guess. What do you think the, what do you think about the the children's dance squad there? Uh, oh, Spark Emotion. Yes. Is I, there any more I, meaning to that besides being a plot device to get everybody out of the house? So that uh, I think can... that's probably the biggest thing. Um, I was curious to know why they were doing why the, the Spark Emotion was happening at the same time as Donnie uh, burning down the house, um, because you know those both of those things happen at the same time in the movie. Yeah. But I don't know what that means exactly. Um, yeah, I don't does, know either. It does like it does do exactly what you said, where it's like it's a it's a device to make sure the mom and sister are out of the house, um, so that they can have the party. Um, but what was that they say? Oh, of course, this is another one of the greatest lines um, in any movie ever, which is sometimes <laughs> I doubt your commitment to sparkle motion. <laughs> <laughs> I okay, yeah, that oh lady. God. Mrs. Actually, Farmer. Mrs. Farver is her name. Mrs. Farmer. Uh, oh, Farmer. Yeah, Mrs. Farmer is. Well, first off, she's Dwight's babysitter from The Office. Oh, I didn't know that. Have you, have you ever seen? It's one of the most famous episodes of The Office. It's, no, I haven't uh, seen it. I haven't seen it, all The Office. I've only seen a couple of episodes. Well, it's the. Um, well, anyways, it's, it's the, the dinner. Uh, the dinner party uh, and Dwight isn't invited because he doesn't have a date and he brings <laughs> Mrs. Farmer who used to be his <laughs> a babysitter when he was a kid. Okay. And, uh, but anyway, so I've only seen her in kind of like a comedic role. And yeah. while she was funny in this one, I thought, I thought she was a pretty decent actor. She, she did play this, like the part of oblivious, annoying teacher pretty well. <laughs> oh my like, God. Yes. <laughs> as much as like, she was exactly what she needed to be in this movie. Yes, um, for sure. And I, I, I do I really like her as an antagonist. She's just, you know, she just plays that part really well. Um, and you, you hit it perfectly. But, okay, so let's talk about her and, um, like, her, her whole role through this movie. So first, like, her, her biggest thing, which is the lecture between fear and love, which happens in the Attitudinal Beliefs um, video, which is Jim Cunningham, a.k.a. Patrick Swayze, in this movie. Um, he has a motivational series called Attitudinal Beliefs, which they're showing in the show in the sh- in the, in the school, um, which is pretty good. I I love I love the the eighties video, like the freaking music and like the 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 way they have the, the the different shots next to each other, and they're all like sitting there like in slow motion, like sitting back and like breathing. And, yeah, like, and there's like the water. one kid's like, I'm not afraid anymore, and then like uh, the microphone literally comes down from the top of the screen, so you can see it. It's like <laughs> the one take shitty, like oh my god. I Thanks, love it so much. Like, thank you, Jim Cunningham. Thanks, Jim Cunningham. <laughs> and he, like he's looking over his shoulder. Fear. Oh my gosh, yeah. Love. <laughs> So cheesy. But for me, when I'm watching that, I'm like, did this pass in the 80s? Was that like the pinnacle of, uh, you know, video making like this? I definitely remember watching worse videos 
in school. So, well, I'm trying to remember if I ever watched like videos in school that try to teach me values like that. Oh, I went to that, Catholic like, school, so I definitely did. Yeah. Oh, and this was a uh, some sort of religion school, right? I think it was. A they had a cross. School. Did they have a cross? Well, I just remember they cut into one scene where there's like a it had like the acronym for the school. Hmm. It was the uh, and for what? Oh, the the mongrels is a mascot. Uh, I want to say it was like three letters, uh, but anyways, yeah, uh, maybe it wasn't. But it was uh, some sort of a preparatory school because they did wear uniforms, uniforms. Yeah. and I guess maybe that comes with the territory. Is yeah, they teach you how to dress, they teach you how to manage your feelings too. I there guess. is a lot of religious imagery too, which I do want to kind of get into. But um, so back to this fear and love thing. I think this is a really interesting scene um, where the where you have to put everything onto the scale of fear and love. And like, okay, here's my question to you. Do you even think that fear and love are opposites? No. Yeah, I don't think so either. I, I don't think that at all. I, I, I thought it was interesting, especially because they try to like boil it down to those being the two things only. Right. And, and then and obviously... Donnie, Donnie does say like, you know, you're boiling everything down to the two, to just two emotions. What about the whole range of human, you know, human experience? Um, yeah, I, I honestly felt like that whole th- argument, or I guess like the whole system they're setting up, didn't make a lot of sense. Especially when they gave them those cards and said like, "Where does this uh, scenario line up on the spectrum of yeah. fear to love?" I was like, well, "I don't know." <laughs> did you Did you catch the foreshadowing there when he talked? When he has the wallet, um, he has the yes. card that says um, "Ling Ling finds a wallet," and then he literally finds a wallet later. Yes, and um, uh, I guess he didn't have. He t- he took it the other way because uh, in the the card it was taking the money out and giving the wallet back. Yeah. He's forget all that. He burned the wallet owner's house down. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's I wouldn't say that comes from a place of fear though. Uh, so it breaks the it breaks the experiment right. Yeah, there. it's way more complex than that. Um, which I think is the point. And like she's she's trying to force this kind of you know this kind of feeling. You could even say. Um, it, it almost feels like kind of a, a 1984 situation where she's trying to reduce all emotion to just like two words um, so that it's even harder for you to express how you feel, um, which is kind of crazy to think about. But I, don't so know, I guess, I, well, did you feel like that was because uh, uh, from my perspective, I felt like he uh, Jim Cunningham was just a phony. Yeah, well, well for sure. Um, and um, yeah, but before we get to that exactly, but. Um, he is a total phony, obviously, because it's revealed that he's actually, um, like a child porn, um, distributor. distributor. Yeah. Um, which, which is great because earlier in the movie, during the PTA meeting, the, excuse me, the emergency PTA meeting. Can you think of something more pretentious than an emergency (laughs) PTA meeting? Oh yes, I can. Miss Farmer saying, um, what did she say? Oh, she transcends the parent teacher bridge because she's (laughs) both a teacher and a parent. Oh, feels like brother. that gives her extra power yeah but she but she says in the meeting um uh what was it exactly pornography is being taught in our school um when she is actually she's distributing a video by a child pornographer so i thought that was nice a little, a little nice of foreshadowing yeah, she Farmer was right dumber. yep yeah <laughs> yeah um so he is a total phony patrick swayze or whatever his name is Jim Cunningham, um, and you can see that kind of happen, or at least Donnie addressed that um, during the uh, Q and A session later in the movie, mm-hmm. uh, which we talked about a little bit with Ashley Tisdale. 
Um, yes, well, okay, and I, crazy I just Steve. Touch on this, like, gosh, I hate it so much when like an MC or like a you know some guy with a microphone says good morning and then people are like good morning and then he's like i can't hear you <laughs> god i hate that so much like the i can't hear you thing like kind of really provoke a louder response from your audience like i was thinking about it like i guess it's not that bad because like you're just trying to like build yourself up to, for some confidence i guess but at the same time it's just so cheap and cliched and overused and i just freaking hate it, it doesn't yeah i know it sense you know, just like address the like. If you see a lack of enthusiasm, just address that. Don't say, oh, "I can't hear you," or like, "Oh, you guys, you guys can do better than that." It's like, no, screw you. Like, I don't want to do any better than that. You're here to entertain me. I don't have to do anything for you. I'm with you, actually. Like personally, I feel like I'm a pretty active member of the audience wherever I go. Like at yeah. basketball games, I'm always cheering for stuff and whatever. Like I, I like to be involved. Yeah. Not everybody does. Yeah. But I think it's a. Uh, it's a pretty reliable way to get oh people who are straddling the fence of being involved in the presentation and not to get them to be like, good morning, you know, join in. But he also, I could tell he was a pretty good public speaker, though. Uh, Patrick Swayze is a smooth talker in this movie because oh, he, he does it a third time because he says, I can tell. Like, Can you believe yes. there are people in this audience who have too much fear to say good morning? And then those people are like, oh, this guy said i'm like i, I ain't I'm never afraid. scared so yeah. i'm gonna say good morning which i think is clever and while i i'm with you on the, the it's overused and it's unnecessary in a lot of situations i think patch i'm not gonna hate on patrick swayze's uh public speaking game uh in that aspect in this movie because Fair i enough. think i think he ties it into his bogus claims they he are does bogus. Do that. That's he true, does tie so. it in well um and also i just like patrick swayze so <laughs> he's good he's re- he really is good in this movie because he like you he is like that kind of charming like public speaker type guy he's kind of like a youth leader type person right yeah clearly the the community kind of uh loves this guy yeah respects him and everything i mean he lives nearby he has a huge house and everything so um it's that's that is interesting and then for him to like have that extra element of him being a child porn distributor well yeah it's the it's one of those classic like uh you're like the hot the the bigger they are, like the harder they fall, like this fall from right. grace of this pillar of the community to find out he was actually like one of the worst people. I always think it's mm. interesting when they go to an actor and say, are you willing to play our, yeah. a child molester in our movie? Like you're going to be like, this movie blows up and becomes yeah. su- a cult classic. You're going to be known as the child molester from the movie. So right. I, I, but I don't really know people's reservations about that. Uh, I guess I don't, I don't really... really no, I mean, it's, it seems to me like it's one of those like acting challenges type thing where it's like I'm gonna be this I'm gonna be the bad guy right but like in real life I'm the good guy and it's kind of like balancing that kind of act and like if you can be the good guy during the day and then be the bad guy at at the movies right in the movies uh-huh. then like that makes you a better actor right uh, so, okay yeah um, I could definitely see it as a I challenge see it. I, don't, I don't think a lot of people think that way. But because um, there's like examples of of like people that like like oh we we finally got like a gay actor to pl- like to play at this gay character it's like why couldn't you get a straight actor who wants to challenge himself and be a gay character like like obviously there's like it's an argument for inclusion and stuff but you know you could also have a gay character play a straight character and that would make things interesting for him and more difficult right like why does it have to be so authentic? It doesn't 
acting as being something you're not. I agree. Yeah, it's like oh, we uh, we couldn't make Donnie Darko because we just couldn't find a child molester who is good enough at public speaking. Exactly. Like, <laughs> it's like this is ridiculous hurdle to climb. Like you don't, you shouldn't have to do that. You should have actors that are chameleons. That's a, well, that's the thing. That's why I don't respect method actors. I feel like it's like you're either an actor or you're just like you're just a stunt. You know, like you're you're just doing it for attention at this point. So you're talking about method actors who are uh, method acting is when you become the the role the entire time even outside right the entire like, time during they're... filming you just act like an asshole for it because you're an asshole in a movie like it's it's stupid to me and I don't have a lot of respect for that I I feel like it can get a good performance but no better than if you were just a good actor okay I can agree with that um I, but wait was was the Joker in the Dark Knight two or in the Dark Knight uh, <laughs> the Dark Knight eight... two Batman two <laughs> Yeah, it was was I was Heath, Heath Ledger. Ledger method method acting? I'm not really sure. Uh, he was definitely doing a lot of crazy stuff um and eventually led to his death. Um so I wouldn't say it was worth it. <laughs> he died because of it, but What? Uh, that performance was immaculate. <laughs> it was really good. But then he died and we never got to see him again. I feel like that's not worth a human life, especially not someone who's so talented. Dude, but you, just like they say, you either uh die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Uh, he well, died. He died a villain. <laughs> <laughs> what I guess, yeah. What would he have lived long enough to become? Uh, no, honestly, this is this is getting a little bit away from Donnie Darko. Yeah, but is. I, I, and especially today, uh, like in in light of like the Me Too movement and even other things uh, that are just atrocious, like. I have zero faith in any of my heroes in uh, the like, you know, showbiz right. because everybody ends up just being a scumbag in some secret way, and then they get <laughs> they get exposed, and then suddenly you can't like anybody anymore. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. They're they are humans, and like we do put them on a pedestal, which is ridiculous. You know, we pay them so much money for you know doing their job, basically. But I don't know. There's there's some kind of argument to that, and. I don't know. I, I think you just have to have like a, a healthy amount of skepticism toward anything. Like I had this girl, I had this girl, I was dating this girl. Who, um, <laughs> you were uh, going she, with this girl, right? Yes. Yeah, so I was going That's... with this girl. Thank you. I want to get to terms of the movie. Um, she, she always would ask me like, who's on my, my celebrity crush list? Like who's on my list? Like if I had an opportunity to sleep with them, who would I, you know, do yeah. it, do it with, um, regardless of my relationship status. And I was like, nobody like nobody's worth it they're just people you know they're they, they may be celebrities they may be super popular but they're also just human beings like why do you why do you put them in this extra category that makes them better than anyone else like they're some sort of like superhero god like the reason why they have all this power is because you keep giving it to them just act like they're human beings and then we'll be okay i feel like ce- uh, this is a different tangent altogether but i feel like celebrity is an unnatural thing that exists in our culture and like the the super celebrities that like millions and billions of people know who they are like that that was never meant to exist in nature and we uh, human our human brains aren't like able to comprehend something like that we're we're not equipped to handle something like celebrity um not just like being a celebrity but dealing with celebrities in real life and so i feel like it's just a like a per- perversion on on nature in a way i i'm not a huge fan of it and i wish it was um not as big of a, th- a deal do you feel like it doesn't affect you in the same way? I feel like it does because of my conditioning. I feel like I would still get starstruck by people that I really like. But I also have reasons for liking them other than they're popular. You know, I feel like they are progressing a lot of good in the world, at least the people that I find uh, admirable. 
Um, right, but do, isn't that what everybody sees in the celebrities that they at least care about? I don't know. I feel like a a lot of a lot of what you see is like a, a manufactured image, right? And we kind of talked about this before, but like you you're showing you're seeing you're you're falling right into the trap that they're laying for you, um, right? It's like I don't know. You you put them on this pedestal where you think they're not people anymore, and you think that they're like they owe you something or like they're objects that are meant to be admired or something like that but really they're just you know successful people and you should admire them because they are successful not because they're objects i don't know no it is it's bizarre it's and it's something that i try not to get too caught up in because i used to i used to be like a real kardashian hater yeah my sister watches that show or she did back when i was like when we were younger and I would always be like, oh, I can't believe you're watching this garbage. Like, the Kardashians suck. And then I'd go on Twitter. It's like, oh, the Kardashians, like, suck, you know? Yeah. But what am I doing? Got a hot take there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but you know what, what I'm doing is it's I'm – perpetuating them, yeah. Exactly. They don't care if I like them or not. They yeah. care if everybody notices them and they're influenced by them. And that's I was a, being influenced that, by that's, them. That's why whenever someone brings it up in a conversation, I always ask, who? Who are they? <laughs> what do they do? <laughs> yeah which is the right well if you want to uh dissent against their fame yeah. that is i think a good way to do it because uh i mean even bringing them up right now i, I use them because they're the best example they're not yeah. the only yeah. example a lot of people make a, a living off of celebrity and i it frustrates me because i wish i could make a living off of celebrity but i can't yeah. so <laughs> i and i'm not gonna help anyone else do it Unless right. I think I, I can, unless they have merit, unless there is a reason that they're famous, and right. then then I will uh, promote them if I think they're you know it's. Worth and it. I mean, this, I mean, we've already went on for too long about this, but like even the Kardashians have something to admire, and that they've kind of you know, they've marketed themselves so well. Like if you're looking at them from the point of view of like how they built their brand, it's pretty amazing. Um, even though the stuff that they do isn't all that great and pretty despicable, like I still feel like there are things you could look at them to be admired for. Um, so, like, every person has that complexity in them, um, and when you assign them a certain role that they're, or they assign a role to themselves and you just subscribe to that, I don't know, it's, 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 it's not healthy. Anyway, let's get back to the movie. Yes. <laughs> um, well, okay, so, there's a lot of stuff to talk about, but let's talk a little bit about predestination. So, this yes. movie, one of the main motifs in this movie is predestination. Um, which is really interesting. Um, talk about philosoph like philosophically, um, right? Like, do you believe there is such thing as free will, and what does free will really mean? Um, I guess I can put that to you. Um, but as a religious person, I don't know how you're going to answer. I feel like I know what you're going to answer. Honestly, I might not have the right. Uh... My, my views may not stick to the Catholic Church as much as they maybe should. Okay. Um, I, but I don't know. I, I, I like there's this God's plan, but I don't think God, uh, I, God also gave us free will. So I don't think it um, is like a t written down predestinated. I, I thought this movie took an interest, an interesting perspective on it, be it with like the orbs coming out of, or like the tube of, uh, I think they're called spears actually, but spears um, okay yeah. well they, <laughs> oh yeah no sense. he did he did call them spears yeah uh but 
they like, only come out of you for like the next like 10 seconds yeah uh which i thought was interesting because it's like was it predestined before that or is it just mm. starting it's like your next few things based on like a combination of other things happen uh i think yeah. that religious I, I honestly don't know i haven't read the catechism in a while but i think you're supposed to believe that we have free will because otherwise um why would anybody go to hell because if they're predestined to be a rotten person <laughs> that's just god being a dick <laughs> so but yeah uh, that's i mean that was calvinism exactly so yeah I, I i agree i think that's kind of the teaching and like i feel like if you believe in god then you also believe in a soul um like you kind of subscribe to that as well which is something that's outside of the universe and unaffected by the universe right yeah so like it's something that and i think this movie does a good job of kind of pitching that as an idea um and that you have like everyone has a soul and that that soul makes decisions outside of the influence of your body in the physical world um because well, this, there's this line in here that i really like um that i actually i actually think about basically every single day it says um this is dr monotov he's a, when he's talking to um donnie about the philosophy of time travel uh he says quote if we were able to see our destinies manifest themselves visually then the world would, then we would be given a choice to betray our chosen destinies and the mere fact that this choice exists would make all preformed destiny come to an end and i shorten this in my head to if you can see your path you can change it um which is i mean not what donnie does in this movie he sees his path and he follows it anyway but the you also kind of get that implication that the this is the right path or like that this is the path that you should be taking. Someone else drew the path for you. You just have to follow it. Um, but there still is a choice there um, because D Donnie specifically can see his path forward. And I like not that I've ever had a, a, a vision like Donnie did, where like spears are coming out of people's chest. But I've definitely seen like I can see where like my actions will lead me down a path. And how I say I see the path, but I'm not happy with it. So can I change it? And because the, the, what they say in this movie if you can see your path you can change it i feel like i have that power you'd tell me if you had seen spears coming out of people's chest right i don't know if i would <laughs> <laughs> um oh yeah no i think it's tough because i think you can have an idea of what your future holds right but mm -hmm. i think the whole idea of predestination is it doesn't even have to be something you can see coming it's that it just is uh, yeah. so I think it's, I mean, I don't think anybody has like a definitive answer on what that is. It's, that's why it's a belief. Right. But I do, I do like the, uh, visualization that we were provided with in this movie. It's really, uh, intriguing. And also, yeah. very, I guess, I, I, I don't know, because it, it, in the movie, it's kind of a path as far as your movement. Like mm -hmm. it, it leads him to his parents' bedroom right. to find the gun. Yeah. But he takes the gun and keeps the gun on him. So I don't know if that was he took that as like I must have this gun forever now or if that was a choice he made himself. <laughs> right, I'm going to keep this gun like I need this gun sometime in the future, I don't know when. I'm just going to keep it with Yeah. Me. Well, and know. if you and if you know there's only what, what was it, like 28 and a half days to go, you're yeah. like I'm probably going to I can I can stay strapped for the next month and that like that's not too much of a sacrifice. <laughs> Because I, I did not that, expect him to really pull the gun out. It's like he just kind of because he follows his, his his spear upstairs, right? Like there's no indication, there's no like reason he goes upstairs other than he's following it. 
So it was like, what, what, like what came first, right? Did did he decide to go upstairs or did he just follow the path? Right. And that's well, kind of like the question that you're always getting with predestination is like, is do I have an illusion of choice, or do I actually have a choice? The classic chicken and egg scenario. Kinda, yeah. Well, um, there's this um, philosophy. I hesitate to use the word philosophy, but there's this mode of thinking called Stoicism that I've been doing research on recently because I find it really fascinating. Mm-hmm. And one of the things the Stoics talk about is volition, which is another way of saying free will. But it specifically means what is up to us. Um, so, like, what decisions we get to make. I feel like Stoicism can be summed up really, really easily with um, the serenity prayer, which I'm sure is something that you've heard before. But it's basically, um, God, grant me the patience to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can't, or I can, excuse me, Courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, and I feel like that is the embodiment of Stoicism in general. It's a practical wow. philosophy. It teaches you how to act, um, not just how to think. And one of the things they talk about in Stoicism is that the inevitability of your death, and how that is predestined. You are going to die. There's a certain point at which you will die. But you still have a choice through your life. You ha- there are still things that are up to you. There are certain things that you have no control over, like the movement of time through the universe, but you do have a choice in like what you do with your day or who the people you spend time with and stuff like that. So it's interesting. Like, I like that dynamic because you know before this, it's always been like, do you have free will or do you not? Because there is a lot of evidence that you don't, but there's some evidence that you do. So this kind of remedies that by saying you do have free will, but only in certain aspects. You don't actually have perfect free will. You have volition. Some things are up to you. That's, uh, I, I guess that is a kind of a middle ground answer for it. Um, but it's still, I guess it kind of, it's outside of, um, predestination completely, right? Because if, if you had complete predestination, nothing would be up to you. Uh, all choice would be an illusion. So I guess it kind of diverts from that, but it is, I, I like that, uh, uh, what would you say is the prayer of serenity? Serenity prayer, prayer yeah. Serenity prayer. That I I I like the mindset. I think it's yeah. hopeful. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah, but they don't really go into that in this movie. This really is like free will versus not. And it, I mean, Frank does say at some point, "I can do whatever I want, and so can you," um, which is kind of true, right? Donnie ends up manipulating time and space to to get whatever he needs to do done, um, but only to fulfill a predestined goal, which was to complete the cycle and get back to. The primary universe. That's exactly right. Um, but and, he, and you kind of see him see the path that he's supposed to take and take it anyway, right? When he looks into Gretchen's stomach, he looks into her future, and he sees where she's going to die. Um, and he go, he takes her there. He takes her there so that she can die, um, which is really interesting because he's like he's following God's channel, as he says it. Well, let me just tell you this. Okay. When they had that house party going yeah. on on Halloween – and they're a bunch of high schoolers. Mm. And, you know, you've got your 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 friends who are there, too. It's like him, Gretchen, and then the two, uh, Buster and Spike, or whatever their names are, <laughs> <laughs> who are, like, his... his I'm pretty his, sure that's right. <laughs> his buddies. 
he's like, we got to go ride bikes and go to Grandma Death's place. Yeah. Dude, a high schooler would never go there. He'd be like, no, dude, I'm getting drunk right now. Have you tried beer? Like, uh, they, they had – I because it sounded so high school of them. He was like, hey, I stole four beers from my dad. My dad, yeah. And, uh, which is hilarious. I was like, okay, that's like such a high schooler to think that four beers is enough for a party. But – then he's like, oh, no, we have a keg, so it doesn't matter. He's like, oh, kegs are, like, for pussies or something. I was like, are you just, Who are you, guys? Yeah, are you just ill-informed? <laughs> you just said four beers, and now you're saying kegs are lame. So, uh, anyways, that was, just, that was just me taking a look at it from, like, a realistic point of view. But, again, maybe this is another example of a, uh, an event that seems forced yeah. because it's all part of uh, the necessary steps that t- they have to take to complete this whole cycle. Yes. I'm seeing a lot of this movie completely different now that you've talked about how the, these people are all just part of a conspiracy to get him to be uh, to make that choice. Yeah. It definitely makes it really more, a lot more compelling, I think. More, more so than the time travel aspect. Um, okay. Okay, so here's another one. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, I think this may be another situation uh, that is like that is sure. is another four situation where maybe but maybe not. Uh, it was when he's sitting on his bed and his mom is about to go to California, wherever they're going to go to uh, film this thing, and he goes, uh, "How does it feel? Uh, How does it feel uh, to have a wacko for a son?" Yes, and she says, "It feels wonderful." Yes, and. I, I don't know what what, did, what do you get from that because under I understand she's being a supportive mother, right. but but obviously she's a supportive mother. We know that at this point. Is there is is there are they trying to tell us something? Because he went to both of his parents. There's the other one I want to touch on is when he talks to his dad. Yeah, uh, and he says he tells his dad he's crazy. So he he's he's being very open and honest with his parents in his insanity but both of them first is uh well his mother which i think actually happens second but i was talking about it first she tells him uh it feels wonderful which you could see as just uh you know uh uh, being supportive but i could also see it as one of these forced events that is encouraging him to continue on his path of insanity to continue on this path of listening to the voice in his head uh and then well, going over to his dad, yeah. where he sits with his dad outside. His dad is enjoying like a little glass of tea or maybe some sort of li- a liquor. I'm not sure, but he sits next to his dad and tells him that he's crazy. And his dad says, "No, everyone else is just bullshitting, yeah. and you're actually smarter than all of them. So you keep on doing what you're doing." Which I, I saw as maybe a moment of Patrick or, uh, of uh, Donnie saying, "I'm crazy, and maybe I should stop being crazy and like try to stop this." But his dad. Who you'd think would be like, yeah, stop being crazy. He says, no, peeping, you're you're fine. You know, continue on doing with what what you're doing. So uh, I, I don't know. What, did you is that? Do you see that as maybe the intended conclusion you're supposed to draw from those interactions? I do like the both of those scenes, um, and I do like your take on it. But um, for me, I never saw the dad as being manipulated specifically. He always uh-huh. kind of seemed like just a regular guy. His mom, I definitely saw more as like a manipulated character, and I feel like. That moment when she says, "I feel one," it feels wonderful. is is kind of like her acknowledging his role at the moment, right? Him being the savior of the universe, being the living survivor or li- li- the living receiver, um, and then her knowing that and knowing what he has to do, basically. Um, and I don't think she knows that he's going to die, um, but you you could kind of say that 
that maybe this foreshadows that too, right? Where she kind of has some, they have some sort of closure together. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, it definitely seemed more like a, like I, I'm gonna, I love you, son, no matter what kind of right. kind of moment more than anything. Um, but I, if you're looking into it deeper, my guess would be that it's something to do with him being the living receiver and she knowing that she playing a part as well. Um, and like having to force him to push into this, you know, next section or something. She's proud that it's him in a way. Okay. Um, okay. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, Watership Down. Um, this is a, one of the scenes as one of the lectures from, um, Drew Barrymore. Uh, she talks about the, the book Watership Down, which actually doesn't appear in the theatrical version. It's only in the director's cut. Um, and the reason oh. that they pick Watership Down to talk about is because it's about rabbits. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which is like, yeah, pretty clear. Uh, I feel like that, that metaphor doesn't go very far. But there is an interesting thing. Watership Down um, by Scott Adams is one of my favorite books ever. It's really amazing. Uh, is, it, is it Richard Adams? I don't know. Scott, no, Scott Adams wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, Richard Adams wrote um, Watership Down. He, had, he died okay. recently. He died in like the last year or two. Um, and oh, R.I.P. You should read Watership Down. It's one of the most amazing books I've ever written. Um, and it's all about rabbits. And one of the rabbits in the book named Fiverr has visions of the future. He sees um, he sees bad things happen before they do, which gives the rabbits time to escape and go to different areas. Um, it's kind of the only supernatural thing that happens in the books, um, but it's, it's really interesting and it moves the plot forward in an interesting way. Um, and I feel like this is also uh, reflected in the movie because, you know, Frank, um, who is a rabbit, comes from the future to tell Donnie that the future is going to, that the world's going to end. He's, prophesizing doom just like fiverr is in, in the book um and I, yeah i thought that was nice it was a nice little touch that's that's interesting i might actually uh pursue watership down uh my book Definitely club should. is always taking recommend uh submissions oh gosh, for new it, books so. uh, i would love to watch, i would love to read it with a book club it'd be it's such a uh, satisfying book um so speaking of authors let's talk a little bit about graham green who wrote the destructors um, which is another book that um, Drew Barrymore talks about in her class. This this was the book that they said inspired the vandalism to the school. Yes, uh, which is something else we could talk about: how media influences our actions, and if uh, violent video games cause uh, violence. Oh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> but, I mean, Trump thinks so, so it must be true. Um, yeah. So Graham Graham Greene. So the, um, I thought that was an interesting moment because. Um, Rose Darko, Donnie's mom, is at the PTA meeting, and she asks Kitty Farmer um, if she knows who Graham Greene is. Um, and and uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Kitty Farmer says, uh, "Well, we all we've all seen Bonanza." Now, Bonanza is a uh, a TV show, a sitcom, or more like a drama that stars Lauren Green, not Graham Greene. It was it's on from nineteen fifty nine to nineteen seventy three. And it talked about um, contemporary issues with like family drama and everything, uh, but in this like period piece Western ranch style like setting. Um, so it was like there's a ranch and stuff like in the old times, but they were dealing with like contemporary like issues of the family and stuff. So it was kind of like this, I guess you could say, more liberal aspect with a conservative setting kind of thing. Um, okay. But then Graham Greene is actually a very famous, serious Catholic um, novelist. 
um, who's you know very conservative, and he talks a lot about moral and political issues. And I actually own a book by him called Brighton Rock, which I still haven't read, but it's on my shelf. So I didn't know that. I mean, I, I'm going to read that next after I finish Watchmen for the second time. Okay. So that's um, that was that was interesting because uh, yeah, Rose Darko asked Kitty Farmer, "Does she know who Graham Greene is?" And Graham Greene is actually you know a very conservative guy who, of course, would never. Um, never consent to pornography quote unquote being shown in schools and his book is not pornography in any sense it's a very serious book about you know political and moral dilemmas there uh so i guess like yeah it's just pointing out the ignorance of the teacher's uh yeah objection sure. to having this book in the exactly like she she sees you know she just sees the the surface level she doesn't actually do any of the research herself it's um, yeah. Interesting. Well, it, yeah, I, it does have a parallel to today that it's like, well, there's a book that has people flooding a house and our school got flooded and there is media with people shooting each other and then there's real life people shooting each other. So they're <laughs> like definitely the reason. Definitely the reason. Correlation is causation. That's what that's um, how the old saying goes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean that's that's absolutely silly, and of course it's it's still happening. Everything. It's just like I don't know. I don't really get to it to go into it too much. But for me, the, that kind of like refrain of you know violent video games cause violence is really just kind of a another form of ignorance, right? It's just saying, oh, this is a hot take we got. You know, like we can somehow spin this to make it to make make people more afraid, which makes them tune back into the news more often. So. Oh yeah, this, and it's yeah, also it's people usually people who don't play video games. So they're like, "Oh, those kids are always on their games. Yeah. That can't be good. That can't be good." You yeah. know, I never played video games. Look how I turned out. Yeah, I'm by perfect. The way, <laughs> by the way, black president—that's despicable. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we we are uh, we are unraveling into a political conversation. Um, one of the things. Yes. Um, well, okay. If you wanted to finish your point on this stuff. No, no, no. Please take take it away from here. Okay. <laughs> um, well, another thing I liked was uh, just I don't know if it's trying to make a reference to two thousand one or nineteen eighty eight, but when after Donnie's little outburst uh, against uh, Patrick Swayze, he, like where he asks him how much money he's getting paid. Yes. To kind of expose him as a phony, I thought. Well, this is specific because I actually now that I've brought that up, I kind of want to talk about that. But um, he calls him a fucking chud. And mm. I I don't think I've ever heard somebody call someone a chud before. I don't even know what, yeah, that, I don't, I don't know what is. that is. It sounds like, bad. I would have my feelings hurt if someone called me a chud, but I wouldn't know exactly why. Right. It's like if someone calls you a, like a blank bag. Anything that ends in a bag just sounds like kind of a, a shoe bag. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that doesn't sound good, right? You don't want to be a shoe bag, whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> a yeah, chud I, bag, dude. It's just got that that visceral like that texture to it. Chud. But I wonder, I wonder if there's actually a uh, etymology to the word chud uh, that that actually could, if like maybe it made sense in 2001 to say chud, or maybe it didn't even make sense then. People were like chud. Chud. Oh. Chud stands for cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller. Hmm. I wonder if that's a reference to um, a time machine. It was released in 1984. It is a story by Shepard Abbott. 
Dude, I wonder if he was referencing this, uh, is it a movie? Oh, wait, um, hold on. I think there is something in the trivia about a movie called Chud that they were originally going to be showing. Um, they were, they were originally going to show, uh, Chud in the movie theater instead of Evil Dead. Um, which is, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, but um, but yeah. what what was it like? The people who own the rights to Chud were being fucking Chuds, and they wouldn't let them. Use yeah, the problem is finding out who owned the rights to the movie. Apparently, but Sam Raimi, who made the Evil Dead, um, he allowed uh, the director to use the footage from the Evil Dead free of charge. Wow, free of charge. Yeah, Sam Raimi's a that nice is, guy. Uh, that. Wow, Evil Dead I, well, is a great movie too. I haven't seen Evil Dead, and I was I was afraid that this might have spoilers, but uh, obviously, it not actually does not show much. I I didn't I didn't know it was from the Evil Dead until I watched the Evil Dead, and I'm like, oh my god, I've seen that before. Hi, <laughs> Darko. I'm putting Evil Dead in our list of movies to watch. Okay, I've uh, I've seen clips, honestly, of Evil Dead. I understand it's a pretty influential pop culture. I think we've uh, actually talked phenomenon. about it before, um, just not on the podcast. Um. Yeah, so there is a part that I really like in that scene with Patrick Swayze where he, where um, Donnie says, well, well, he's well, Patrick Swayze says to Donnie, um, look at this, you know, crazy or like this very troubled young man, troubled, confused, and um, yeah, he says, I I believe you are very troubled and confused, and um, Donnie says, you're right, I am very troubled and I am pretty confused, but I also think you're the fucking antichrist. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think this is really funny, but also kind of poignant because um, I think there's this theme of how like Donnie is more perceptive than the other people in the movie. He kind of sees things as they are. He's always kind of speaking his mind and everything like that, but it's not just speaking his mind. It's almost like he sees things that other people don't um, just in the way things are structured. And I, it's very clear that he's sick, right? I mean, he's a paranoid schizophrenic. He's taking pills, going to therapy and stuff. And I just yeah. think it's really interesting that they kind of portray Donnie as being more perceptive despite being less in touch with reality. I don't know. I, I feel like there is kind of like this, um, I don't want to say conspiracy, but this kind of like feeling that or this perpetuation that drugs dull your perception. They don't help you as much. You know, there's kind of, I think there's a, a big stigma against taking drugs for depression or anxiety um, when really that, that helps millions of people every day uh, deal with their regular lives. But I feel like movies like this kind of show, like, or at least say that, you know, th- these aren't helping you. They're dulling your perception. You know, you should be like Donnie. You should be more, you know, open to weird experiences and not try to fix yourself. You know, you shouldn't be normal. And I feel like that's the wrong message to send because most of the time it's just destructive. It's not, you know, interesting or, or funny. Well, it definitely is destructive for him too, even if it in in it's self-destructive, I guess would say. Yeah. It would be the best way to say it. it. Yeah, actually, that brings up a good point, which I meant to comment on earlier. Donnie truly is a psychopath, the way that he takes his pills with no water. He <laughs> scarfs them down. <laughs> I did not notice that, but you're totally right. That was, a, that was the first thing I noticed when they like showed him taking pills. Like, oh, he just did that without any water, which I cannot do. I'm always no, I, I can't too paranoid either. of choking, but uh, it turns out these pills were just water anyways. So mm, That's right. Uh, which, pills. 
Yes, which I thought was uh, was a neat little trick because throughout this whole thing, I kind of had in the back of my mind, I was like, it's the pills. The pills are driving him crazy. Uh, but then they throw that out kind of late in the movie. They're like, you can stop taking the pills now because they're actually – it doesn't matter if you keep taking the pills. They're not, yeah, they're not doing anything. That's what's really interesting about this movie is that it, even though all this weird stuff happens, it's very supernatural. A lot of it like kind of happens inside Donnie's head almost. It, you can rely on Donnie as a narrator. He's not an unreliable narrator. It's not like like – Fight Club or these other movies where like you see everything from a certain point of view and you assume that's reality and then that's you know um, actually in somebody's head. In this movie, all the weird stuff is really happening. Well, okay. So speaking of some weird stuff, uh, I I think that flooding the school was influenced by the well, not maybe maybe not influenced by the book. Now I'm being what's her name, Mrs. Farmer, but um, I think that. Flooding the school was one of these events that is helping to get him closer. It it, it prevented them from going to school and yeah. set in motion a bunch of events, uh, including meeting uh, Gretchen. That's right. But I mean, he literally says because um, you and I would never have had this conversation. Right, and I'm I'm interested in the sim. I, I guess like what is the point of putting the axe in the mongrel? Oh, I, I'm not sure. I think that only shows Donnie's increased strength, which is another one of the specific powers listed. In his, yes. When in, in his living receiver powers. They did discuss how it's like, that's solid copper or something. Bronze, know, but yeah. Or bronze, yeah. How did they get it in there? They made me do it. Um, I don't, yeah, I think that's the only thing that's supposed to show. I, I don't know if that's supposed to be a... Um, like a, like a cut at the school or something like that. Cause sure, no. Well, I I thought the mongrel just looked interesting, too. Yeah, it, it was really weird. He was sitting on his hind legs, but, like, his arms were down on like the ground, too. He was totally too. like a human at the same time. Like, yeah. He, he, was like a, he was like a human with a dog head. I, I liked it. Is. Oh, I don't know. I thought mongrel just meant, like, you were... Actually, I don't know what mongrel meant. I, I just know that uh, it's kind of an insult. You call someone a mongrel... Oh, wow. A mongrel is a dog of no definable type or breed. Hmm. Okay. Oh, man. Actually, when you want it to be offensive, it means a person of mixed descent. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of things of weird-looking creatures, what did you think of the bunny costume, the Frank's costume? It's creepy. uh, It was was creepy, but not scary. It, It didn't... I was glad that it wasn't something because I, every time i watch a scary movie i'm always afraid of actually getting like terrified yeah. which may be uh, like just uh something because i haven't seen a lot of horror movies maybe i should expose myself to more but obviously exposing myself to more means watching scary movies and <laughs> right, you have to get over that hump <laughs> may i get is it a hump or am i just going to continuously get horrified by every movie and it's always going to suck so and, and that's another thing i thought it was it was chilling but it, it didn't take away from like the it was bizarre looking unique looking enough to yeah. get your attention and be like what is this like mysterious entity but it wasn't distracting with how horrifying it was the real thing that was horrifying was the mystery uh, the mystery around it not necessarily that it was uh you know hard to look at right and it's really interesting like watching this movie like multiple times because you know frank isn't the bad guy um you know he's he's really 
helping Donnie in a way, um, but he just looks so creepy, and you're so afraid that he's going to pop out at you. I mean, there, I feel like there is one jump scare when he's in the therapist office, and then you suddenly see Frank, and there's like a, a music cue at the same time. But other yeah. than that, like the, this movie doesn't have any jump scares, but you still see Frank, and like when you first see him up close, like, the first time you see him, he's out in the distance, but then when you see him up close, that mask is just like, I mean, I, I don't know, it's it is terrifying to me. Like it's it's just like. It's hard. I find it really hard to look at. I mean, I, like I peer at it and like really try to study it and everything. But at the same time, it's like this is disturbing to look at. You know, it's just, the like, ears it's, are almost horns. The asymmetry, yeah, the asymmetry and like the weird eyes and like the mouth and everything. It's just like really like a perversion of what a rabbit looks like. And um, uh, it's it's I, definitely iconic though. Yeah, agreed. And I would. I wonder how many. Like, do you know if it's a popular costume at at all? On I've never Halloween? seen anyone wear it um in, in real life because i'm wondering if i ever have obviously i wouldn't know because i don't think i would have right, right, remembered it, on it but. but i'm interested to keep my eyes uh you know gl- peeled. Uh, peeled yeah in the future i was gonna say glazed <laughs> <laughs> like, that would have been better because that's like you know, it does look like he has glazed eyes in the, in the movie um yes no and i but no i because I think that would be an awesome Halloween costume to wear. If you wore that and people, you did like a good Frank I, I'm not costume. a fan of costumes that totally conceal your whole body. So, well, I'm not either because a lot of times I wear costumes at parties and I want to be drinking. So, uh, it's tough tall. with a mask. Yeah, I have a dope Darth Vader costume, but I don't think I'm ever gonna wear it because mm-hmm. until I don't know because I always want to be. Where's the sh- next uh, Star Wars movie? Where to premiere? Can you move? Can you wear masks to movies? Not at my theater. We don't let you wear masks. Because that was that was the other thing. I because I, I I went to a football game on Halloween and I was like, "There's no way they're gonna let me into like a stadium with a mask on." Mm. So I uh, they might let you, let you take it in. You just can't wear it. I don't know. Right. You can, wear it, you can wear it in the line or or like outside for a little while. And then chuck it in the trash as I head <laughs> in. But um, so just put it back in your car when your movie starts. Right. No, and that's specifically uh we're, we're getting off on another tangent here. Are. But I think that they did a good job of designing uh an iconic um like v- I guess horror villain. Like he's not yeah. a villain obviously, but uh cuz I I actually watched the theatrical trailer for this after I watched the movie. Mm-hmm. And obviously Frank's all over the place right. and it, it kind of you you kind of get that generic it's a horror movie. Here's the monster, but what else? You know? Yeah. What does and, that really mean, or whatever? Like, what? What did he do? Right. So, uh, but I, I liked it. I liked the inclusion of Frank, and I liked that he wasn't somebody you needed to be afraid of. Really. Um. Let's talk a little bit about the therapist. So. Okay. Um. First of all, uh, the first time Donnie is hypnotized, um. It's really, I think it's really interesting because Donnie immediately takes over the hypnotism. You know, normally you think of hypnotism as like kind of being submissive, right? You just kind of do whatever they say. Right. But in this case, Donnie just goes on his own tangents and then the therapist just kind of has to sit there and watch until he puts his hand down his pants. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he says, "Um, I think about fucking a lot at school. Um, And then she says, "Uh, do you think about your family? And And he says, Oh no! I don't think about fucking my family. That's <laughs> gross. <laughs> but then later on in the movie, um, she—I uh, love this part. She says um, to the the, to the parents, um, "I would like to do some more hypnotherapy." And I'm like, "Oh, I bet you would." <laughs> <laughs> but then there's okay. The the biggest thing with the therapist is when uh, she hypnotizes him for a second time and. Frank or Frank appears to Donnie and he's talking to him 
and and she says this really cryptic line, uh, which is really interesting, and I feel like another clue into what's really happening with this movie. And she says, quote, the sky is going to open up. If the sky were to suddenly open up, there would be no law. There would be no rule. It would only be you and your memories, the choices you've made and the people you've touched. If this world were to end, there would only be you and him and no one else. And then, and then she wakes him up and it's like, well, all right. Like that, that was cryptic. Therapy? <laughs> like, <laughs> but well, yeah, go ahead. Cause that's, that's a, uh, that's kind of a leap to take from him saying like the sky is going to open up. Yeah. Because, uh, cause that can mean anything. But yeah, uh, but I mean, but like literally, the sky does open up. You see that at the end when like the the portals starting to form over his house, which I think is supposed to be the the black hole that's forming. Um and yeah, so like she's predict she's you know this is another like subtle nudge in the right direction, right? She's saying you need to save the world because otherwise the world's going to end, um, and it's just going to be you know you and your thoughts basically, which is kind of nuts to think about. It kind of implies that he will survive even if they they don't you know or, or maybe maybe this also encourages him to kill himself when she says you know it'll only be you and your memories um if everyone else's memories are erased from this 28 days then it'll just be him by himself and he'll just be as crazy as roberta sparrow hmm i i like to think that there is a optimistic outcome for donnie yeah uh, I, I felt like it was at least hinted at i need to go back and look more but he, uh, I, I don't think that his sacrifice is necessarily complete self-sacrifice as opposed to potentially including uh, some, at least in some aspect, relief for him, if not, yeah. uh, you know, uh, an escape, uh, some some new form of existence, a new way for him to be not suffering from being crazy, I guess. Just like he might not be alive anymore, but I think that this whole experience maybe opened him up to the idea that there could be something else besides just being alive. Yeah. Um I I agree with that. And I do want I do hope for like that that hopeful message, even though it kind of ends in a tragedy. It definitely seems like it ends happily for Donnie because he is laughing in the end. Yes. Um Okay, is there anything else cuz I have one more thing to talk about and then um let me see. Um, oh, I guess just one thing I noticed when it, it, you know how they continuously it's cutting, telling you how much time is left. It tells you the date and then tells you how much time is left, which I really appreciate because I did not do a good job of keeping track of the dates. So right. if I was required to remember that on my own, it wouldn't have happened and I wouldn't yeah. have understood the story as well. So well done on the the guy who put the words on the screen. But um, thank you, thank you, words guy. Yes, and uh, I'm sure he's in the credits somewhere. But when <laughs> there's only one day left. Right after that, he walks into the kitchen, and the song that's playing, I don't know what the name of the song is, but this, the song says, one day, uh, it says, like, one day left, one night left, as, like, uh, the, the verse that you hear, the lyrics you hear when he walks in, which I thought was uh, kind of funny, kind of meta. Oh, yeah, there's that part that I, I really like, um, which is uh, near the beginning of the movie, after, the, after he goes back to school, um, and they're playing uh, Tears for Fears, Head Over Heels. Um, which is when they're going through the school and they're showing all the different players in the in, like, in the story, um, which uh, all these really long takes that are kind of like ramped up and down, so they're faster or slower. Uh huh. And it's it's not like one whole take. There is some cuts in there, but it is um, it's really cool. I really like that part. And the music's playing over it, and they they show everybody that's gonna 
play a part in Donnie's life in the next 28 days, um, which is pretty cool. Especially because I feel like they do a good job of developing multiple characters in yeah. obviously in a limited capacity because you know it's just a movie but uh better than i think most movies do when they have such a broad range of characters right and it was really satisfying watching it multiple times because then i'd be like oh like i forgot they were in this or like oh man this is so important you know it's really nice seeing them before um they actually play any parts uh, I, I like that a lot and then um of course the the song ends with time flies which is a uh, kind of another motif going on with the time travel this has to be, for me, the least scientific time travel movie I've seen. Hmm. Like, there's no... I know that they have, like, a book on it. There's even a professor. But it, it it's it's less about, like, like we have to, like, you know, go fast use enough the, or do this or that. science machine to, yeah, to do the thing. To yeah. Go back in time, yeah. This is, like, time travel through kind of uh, mystic powers. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's yeah. a fresh take. It definitely is. Um... Yeah, I'm not really sure what kind of, well, like what that means exactly, because it doesn't really follow any of the the regular rules. Because typically there there are three types of time travel. Mm-hmm. There's the static timeline, um, which I let me think of the best example. The best example I can think of at the top of my head is Red versus Blue. Red versus Blue operates on a static timeline, um, where events in the in the past, or uh, yeah, yeah, the events in the past. Um, influence things in the future uh and you can go back in time but you only fulfill exactly what you're going to do 12 monkeys is another good example of that so like there you going back in time to stop something from happening causes that thing to happen or just ensures that thing's going to happen uh there's also the dynamic timeline which is the best example is back to the future which is where stuff in the past if you go back in time will influence things in the future directly and the past and the present exist at the same time basically so when marty like keeps his like make sure or marty has to make sure his parents um actually get married otherwise like he won't exist in in that time right um and they'll happen at the same time so if they never may know make that connection then he'll disappear immediately in the past but there's also the multiple like parallel dimension idea like the multiple timeline multiverse theory which is that when you go back in time you actually don't just move backwards you move sideways at the same time so you actually enter a different timeline where you exist independent and as far as like that one goes there's no way to get back to your original timeline you end up in a different timeline altogether so if you were to go back in time say um and kill your grandfather in the in the multiverse theory uh this would mean that you just exist in a time when your grandfather is dead, there would be no like repercussions in the future that ripple backwards toward you. You would be a totally different, like separate player in this universe. Okay. Um, so Donnie Darko, I feel like best describes the static timeline, although it, don't, it doesn't really do that perfectly because he does change the events. Like, it, identical events happen, right? The 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 plane engine falls on his room twice. Mm-hmm. But uh, both of those times are different. Uh, he one he's in the room, and the other one he isn't in the room. But both of those are also happening in parallel universes. So I I don't know. I feel like it doesn't follow either of those three. It it really kind of obeys its own rules, like you were saying. Well, it's almost like our a discussion of uh, free will or predestination, yeah. and finding that like 
that middle ground, the uh, serenity. What did you call it again? Serenity the, uh, prayer. Yeah, serenity prayer, where it kind of finds a middle ground and it has its own kind of thing. Yeah, it, it does definitely does that, and maybe like it defies explanation on purpose because time travel is inherently impossible and also in like inherently confusing. So to make it just like have that extra element of like, it doesn't make sense. Just kind of continuously gives you that feeling you get when you're trying to understand time travel, even when you understand it really well, it, it like, um, it can still be like a loop to go through. And, and this never gives you that satisfaction because it's just imperceptible to human, in human terms. Which, if time travel was possible in any way, I, it wouldn't surprise me if it was imperceptible to us probably. as three-dimensional beings. <laughs> That's probably true. As so, we spill back over into interstellar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> with um, Which, yeah, I, I, uh, we're talking about time travel again, or at least time as a uh, dimension, something you, yeah. can, you can travel through. Um, but yeah, no, I just overall, I think this is, was a refreshing take on time travel, something a perspective on it that I had never considered. Definitely. Um, so the last thing I want to talk about is the very last thing that happens in the movie, uh, which is when um, the family's outside of uh, the house, you know, Donnie's dead, and um, Gretchen pulls up on her bike, and she's talking to one of the neighbors who's talking, uh, who explains what's going on, and Gretchen waves to Rose Darko, the mom, who yep. waves back to Gretchen, and then the little kid ways back to her um i'm not really sure what this means but i think about this all the time it's kind of like like the ripples of uh, like the past kind of influencing the present in a way it seems like gretchen and and rose maybe remember each other because both of them were manipulated dead in the previous you know universe so yeah maybe they have like maybe they had a dream about each other even though they never actually meet in the, ter- the tangent universe either so, like, the, the fact that they don't know each other, but, like, maybe they've seen each other before in their dreams is kind of an interesting idea. Um, but I like the idea that, like, this, this the story isn't over yet, right? Like, they, even though Donnie's dead, like, she, they're perpetuating this back and forth and then into, you know, maybe us, the, the kid um, who's watching this from the other side, you know? That like Gretchen's interaction with the mom triggers another interaction with someone else. A wave of influence, you could say. So, are you saying that it's hmm. not it's not done? the The fact that uh, Donnie closed the loop no, doesn't I, mean that this won't happen again. Uh, I mean, well, actually, there is a sequel to this movie called S Darko, which stars the sister, um, and apparently, it's really awful. I've never watched it. Um, that sounds intriguing. Is that what they're setting the same, up with this? It's supposed to be the same exact story, but with the sister. With, uh, wait, it's called S. Darko? Yeah, Samantha Darko. Huh. But, um, yeah, maybe, uh, there is kind of this hint of, like, the butterfly effect or, like, chaos theory in this movie mm-hmm. of how, like, ev- like, small events influence bigger events and, like, cascade into other things. So maybe that's what this is referencing, too, the wave, I mean. The wave between um, Gretchen and Rose Darko and the kid. Whenever I think of chaos theory, I always think of uh, Jurassic Park. Mm, yes, with, Jurassic Park. With and Malcolm, uh, the chaosician. Yep, <laughs> when he explains chaos theory, um, great, great performance. He is but, great. Uh, he is okay. uh, great. <laughs> um, yeah, I, that's all I got. So, 
Overall, I, th- I think I did enjoy this movie. I don't know if I would have reached for this one on my own. Uh, it's kind of, especially after having seen it, I understand why uh, it's not a movie that people are like, you have to see this movie. Uh, not because I don't think it has merit, but I think that it takes uh, effort on the viewer's point to fully enjoy it and to fully yeah. understand it. Uh, I know that after just one viewing before having this conversation, I, I really didn't know what I had seen. Uh, so I can understand why there's nobody like knocking down my door and forcing me to watch this, <laughs> like uh, they are for other movies. Well, yeah, right, exactly, and it and it's not. I don't think that uh, the level of hype surrounding a movie indicates its uh, quality level. Um, no, not at all. Always, uh, I think this is a really well-made movie, and I think that the I've I at least the internet has told me that this is considered a cult classic, yeah, and definitely. I think that that fits the description fits it. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the only movies I've watched uh, like twice in forty eight hours. I I watched it with some of my friends, and then a couple like literally the next day, my roommate was like, "Oh, do you want to watch Donnie Darko?" I'm like, "I literally just watched it, but yes, I will watch it again." So nice. there's just so much to get out of it. Uh but okay. Are we? So we want to call it there? Call it there. All right, cool. Um, uh, that is the end. Bye.